Hello everyone and welcome to Final Show. I'm John, the executive producer here, and I've just got a few pre-show notes for you. First of all, I want to let everybody know that our addresses have changed. Uh, our Twitch channel has changed from Sinstaku to twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms, and our YouTube channel has also changed to youtube.com slash finalshowfilms. Next, we want to thank our $20 tier supporters on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash films, by the way, if you want to go throw a couple bucks our way. That's going to be Cat Waterflame, Antitonic, Samantha Bates, and Maureen Monty. Thank you guys for that. Also, our website is in the process of getting updated. So go take a look at finalshowfilms.com. We've got Mara and Jeremy are working on updating all of our stuff there, making it look nice and like a modern website, and frankly, they know what they're doing far better than I or Austin ever did, so if you want to check out the things that are changing over there, you go do that. Follow us on Twitter, at Final Show Films, for updates uh, for all future things, including things that are going on with our website, and going on with the Patreon page, and things that are going on live as we stream them, uh, as well as our podcasts and everything else, so thank you very much for watching, y'all have a good day. Hello everyone, um, welcome to the review portion of the Natch 20 review. I am William, and I was the game master for the game that we were just playing and will be reviewing now, uh, the um, Wrath and Glory Warhammer 40k system. It's been a couple of days since the game, but we're going to get into the review with the recording now that we've had some time to think and process, but while it's still fresh in our heads. Um, so... Let's, let's really quickly go through our cast. Again, I'm William. I'm the Game Master. Joining me, we have Craig. Hi. Um, I played a tech priest named Venepicus Voss. Uh, was a tier three character. Yep. Um, and Mara? Hi, I'm Mara, and I played B, a Psyker Scavi, uh, who was a, started as a two, tier two character, and then I ascended once to get up to tier three. And Andrew? Hello, I'm Andrew, and I played Sergeant Lucan Martin of the Imperial Guard. I was a Tier 1 character who upscaled to Tier 3. All right. So, and we'll explain what that means in just a minute. Um, so we might as well sort of break down, start with an overview of what this game is and what it's about. Um, the game in question, I apologize for being so whitewashed, I don't normally have this much light in my room. It's um, quite a contrast from usual. <laughs> <laughs> when you just sort of loom out of the dark. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the the game in question, um, Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory, is a tabletop RPG um, produced by. Let me pull up my my informational notes, which is relevant here. Um, blurred. If anyone if anyone is faster than I am at getting, <laughs> I am not. <laughs> uh. Ulysses, yes, probably. Uh, Ulysses, um, I believe, is the. I can just pull out their website. Thank you. Yes. We yeah, are prepared. Uh, yeah, we're very prepared. Wrath uh, <laughs> and Glory by, by Ulysses North America. Uh, well, by Ulysses, correction. North America is just their publishing area. Um, but produced by Ulysses um, and set in the uh, Warhammer 40k setting, which is owned by Games Workshop. Um, which is one of my favorite settings. There, I, I enjoyed numerous different settings, but uh, the 40k setting is definitely one of my favorites. 
Um, and it is a D6 uh, dice system that is designed around um, accru- accruing successes. In On this D6 system, a 4 or above is a success, and a 6 is uh, it generates two successes in most situations. And yeah, called icons, right? It's... Icons, yes. Mm-hmm. One success is an icon, and then there's an exalted icon, which is represented by this by the sixes, which generate two successes. And can also the exalted icons can also be used for various extra benefits. Special effects. Uh, and then there is the wrath die, which is sort of if you're familiar with fate systems or with the um, the the fantasy age system um, by Green Ronin. Uh, it's sort of like their fate die, or their or their dragon die, or the the action die, I believe, is what it's called in Fantasy Age. Um, and it sort of represents a a unique factor where if if that particular die, which is set out from the rest, rolls a six, it can cause critical successes, and if it rolls a one, it can cause complications. Um, so that's the general basic of the that's the basic gist of the system. So. Um, we'll start to go into uh, future. We'll start to go into the more important details from here. Um, Mara, I believe you had sort of the the basic questions that you wanted to start off asking with. Yeah. So I guess what I figured we could start with was kind of like the um, making characters and getting started with the system. So we were playing in specifically like a, we had a module that we were following, which I imagine helped a lunch with the GM prep side of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did come with like pre-generated characters, none of which I don't think did no, anyone use any of them. that for like yeah. the basis of, of how they were building stuff. I, I, I think I glanced at them, but I didn't look. No, I didn't. I, I don't think any of us really had a particular used any of the pre-built characters as sort of a basis for building characters. Yeah, no, I read I read through them, but didn't really take anything from them. Yeah, I I find I like having pre-generated characters. I think it's very nice if you're familiar with the system. But for me, at least, having to make a character and like read through the rules that is very helpful for me. If you're like, okay, this is how you make a this is how a character is going to be played like yep, same the parts of the sheet and stuff i i don't know about you all I, honestly character creation tends to be one of my favorite things about systems i do very much enjoy character creation in De- a lot of systems depending uh, yeah you're right it, it, it depends on the system sometimes it's awful um but for the most part i like going through it because like um like Mara was saying it's a great way to get used to how the system works and kind of have an understanding. The one thing I'm always a little hesitant about is making a character in a system before I've played the system because I'm always a little concerned, well, am I putting points into something that really is not going to be useful or am I missing something that I'm going to be rolling every single time? Uh, For instance, I think about the Savage World system, which I personally like a lot, but if you're not familiar with the system, you use, for instance, the skill notice all the time. And if you don't put points into it, your character can be a a little underpowered. Um, But not having played the system and making characters in it, I didn't notice anything that glared out at me, at least in our play session. Um, I felt like I was able to make a character along the lines of of what I wanted, not particularly combat-oriented, and still got to do some fun stuff and use some non-combat skills all over the place. So I, I liked that. It seemed very approachable. That's that's one thing I really liked about the system was um, in the rules. So um, you have your attributes and skills kind of similar to D&D, you know, same type of thing. Um, 
but you have points to spend like changeling on on building your character initially um which is something i'm less familiar with and i know when i made my changeling character the first time i was like okay i know i don't know how this works at all because it's the first time i had done one like that i really liked that this uh one gave sample arrays because i used that Mm. when i built mine it was like here's here's um a spread of stats that you can move around and do what you want to with like you can choose which skills you want out of this um but it's going to cost this much so i didn't have to go through that math and um i knew that it was going to be kind of like um useful enough to build a, a strong enough character and not be like useless in combat or stuff or something like that mm-hmm. um, I, I just like having a little bit of pre-generated uh, it's like having a pre-generated character but not having all the stuff decided because i can kind of choose where i want to put those different i don't know different stats but it had the numbers for me. I like that. That's a really good point. It, yeah, you can get as granular as you want, but if you just kind of want to jump into the system, but like you said, not use an off-the-peg pre-gen character, you can certainly do that too. You can look it up and say, okay, well, take these numbers that we've already bought. Here's how much they all cost together, and then just slot those in. And so this Go ahead, Andrew. A thing that helps with that, with this system, is how the archetypes also just give you standard issue war gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a thing that I thought was uh, a little bit hit and miss, because I am very used to systems where you buy all the items you need. Mm-hmm. And in this one, you are just given things based on your archetype, and possibly more if you take specific talents or upgrades. Yeah, and and you all had had some had some interesting uh, weapons kind of thing. Like I, I think my archetype was very like bare bones kind of stuff, and then I took a bunch of useless objects because I enjoy taking useless objects in games. I have fun with them, uh, but and I don't have as much experience with the character creation because I mostly ran this from a from a DM perspective. Um, so that means I do have a lot of questions that could potentially enlighten some because I don't know a lot. Um, For character creation, was there an option for purchasing equipment using build points? I couldn't find one. Mm, Let me double check. There was the... I got, like, my, like, the plastic bag. That was, (laughs) that was purchasable, but it was for specifically, like, it wasn't that option wasn't specifically for gear yeah that was that was for like here's a bargaining item that you can maybe trade with Mm -hmm. someone at some point i don't know if either of you two because you had some some special weapons was that all from your archetype Uh, yeah mine was mine came from a talent that i purchased Mm -hmm. and from the upgrade and from the ascension package i bought Hmm. um the books page on war gear does not specify anything about actually buying like weapons or special equipment hmm. uh, there's just a bit on buying additional trinkets which i imagine you did mara yep mm-hmm. yeah um, and there's also a bit about acquiring any equipment designated by the framework that the gm is using which i don't think we used at all yeah no I- this this also might be a, a good point to circle back to the tier system because I think that yeah. um, 
it worked out well. Each of us did something at a different tier. Tiers, at least to my understanding, and please jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, correspond roughly to the concept of levels in other systems. Um, um, I would actually say they correspond more roughly. I would say that the closest thing that the system has to levels is rank. Um, what, it, what I would say that the tier system equates to is more of your style of play, your sort of, or, your sort of universal echelon, because it's sort yeah. of the idea being that a lower tier game is more your, your people on the ground. It's your, your guardsmen, yeah. your, your boots on the ground, whereas the higher tiers are your people who have like actual power in this universe, like your inquisitors yeah. and your, 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 your commissars. Yeah. I was, I was, I was familiar with tier because I've, I've done a Dresden Files game, which is with the fate engine and it's mm. the same okay. type of thing. You, you level up within those, but you're, I think, what was it? I don't remember what what the term for it is called, but you have like different scales of game. So I would right. equate that to in D and D, that would be like you know one to five, level one to five game, or level five to ten, ten to fifteen, that kind of thing. Like when you get into those upper tier or lower tier kind of games, like that sort of comparison between them. I liked, I didn't feel, and I was a little worried about this, um, that like having a, a tier two character and going into a tier three game, like I felt like that scaled up pretty well, which I was excited about. It, it seems to affect the, the points that you have, because I know playing as a tier three character, or at least using an archetype that was a tier three, which means that you have to be playing in a tier three framework which seems to be the system's term for campaigns yes mm -hmm. but if you're playing yeah. in a tier three framework um that means you can pick character classes or archetypes within the system that are that are up to that tier and so i was playing as a tier three archetype um which used a heck of a lot of my points and to come back to the question of, of, of equipment, it really dictated out what my starting kit was. Most of those things were just, you have this. And there were a couple things, specifically the augments on the tech priest that I got to pick, but everything else just said, you have a laser pistol, you have a um, Omnisign axe and, and so on. Um, so I, 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 would, I would be really curious to hear um, probably as the person who had the least amount of points to play with, how that worked with the extension packages, because I didn't get to mess with that at all. Just right before we get into that, I did find, um, going back to the equipment thing that we just we just talked about, I did find a section in the book that is about additional starting equipment. Um, basically, it, they decided that you they didn't want to make additional starting equipment a points-based thing. They didn't want to make it something that you had to account Mm. So they basically established a talk with your with your GM about what you want for your equipment, and they basically offer an outline of you know additional equipment you can probably break down in stuff like one primary weapon, one secondary weapon, a suit of armor if you're in a higher tier, um, or any necessary tools. Which is basically if you're if the character is in a higher tier than their original archetype is for, you might want to give them some more equipment based on these yeah. sort of guidelines. Um, which is an interesting approach, I feel, as a game master, because sort of it creates this dialogue between the, the player and the game master that helps sort of flesh out who your character is before the campaign starts. Um, that, that, that was the point that I wanted to get into about the equipment. And then for those of you dealing with build points, if you, any of you have any further input about having more build points to work with, how that affected your character. I yeah, think I can answer that, uh, unless you wanted to say something, Mara. 
No, go for it. Okay. Um, uh, I, as mentioned, I played an Imperial Guardsman. They are typically a tier one character, which meant that you only get 100 points to spend compared to a tier three's 300. Um, but what the Ascension package does is it brings, it basically just gives you more points to spend to match the current tier. So the book actually helps out quite a lot with this in that it suggests that you build the lower tier character first using just the points that the uh, tier, that a tier one character would give me, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the extra points went into, Oh, hang on. I have notes for this. Where'd it go? Uh, there it is. Uh, a lot of the points that I spent after purchasing the Ascension package, they went into my attributes and skills to bring me up to the equivalent of what a tier three character might be. Um, like, for example, at uh, tier one, I only spent 58 of my build points on attributes. And then another, and then I dropped another 82 points after buying the Ascension package. Nice. So, and there's a, there's a, so there's something to identify. Ascension packages are sort of how a lower tier character advances to a higher tier. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they provide a, a series of bonuses. I'm assuming extra build points is part of it. Um, um, it the cost of an Ascension package is taken out of the spare points you have left over. So from, in my case, as I built a tier one character, I had 200 points left to spend and the cost of the Ascension package came out of those 200. Okay, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. And then it gives you a couple different options. It's very much felt like this is this is not a game system that is designed for like leveling up a character all the way from level one to 20. Like that's not Mm. what it felt like it was built for. It felt like it was very much built for whatever tier you're going to be in. And maybe you go up a couple of them, but there weren't like a whole lot. I think we, we noted this when we were kind of making them and you and I were looking, Andrew, were looking at the Ascension packages. Like there's two options. That's it. Yeah. You can get one or the other. Speaking of those two options, um, something interesting about those, the Ascension packages, as we said, are sort of how you advance in tier. And there are two options in that, in that system at the moment, which is at the moment with the current release, which is just the core book primarily and the adventure novel and the adventure modules, which the two options are stay on the course with the archetype that you're currently using. Um, Mm -hmm and continue playing as a member of that archetype. Yeah, which is what Andrew did. Or yes. awaken as a psyker and develop psychic abilities if you're not already which a psychic is, class. Yeah, which is what my character did. So how is how is that different working awakening as a psyker versus just a level ascending as your regular archetype? I was I enjoyed it a lot. Um especially because the scavy itself is not a very it's not a very i don't know if i want to go strong um but it's it's a very not necessarily a combat focused yeah not combat focused and not really good at you know social stuff either it's it's pretty much like the rogue um i think that's what i described it 
as um it's not a really wide ranging character and that opened up the range of like here's some more things i can do now because i used when i was playing i was using my psychic abilities a lot because it got me some different options i could like you know see what the connections were with the people in the hospital that type of thing i i i enjoyed it a lot i like i like playing magic uh characters though because i like how it gives you a lot of different options usually so uh by contrast i basically ended up playing the same character uh who more or less just earned a promotion within the ranks Mm -hmm. um it's uh, nothing. Re- the ma- the major difference, I think, between the Ascension packages comes in the uh, story elements in War Gear. Because while Mara's character got psychic powers from both of the uh, both of their options, I think. Ah, um, no, no, uh-uh. just- no. I I started out with just the scavy archetype, yeah, and that scavy began with mutations rather. Mm-hmm. Than- ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Ah, yep. Yeah, uh, double checking the psychic ascension package. Ah, yep. Yeah, you just get the. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And the uh, way that that's specifically written for ascending into a new tier, I mean, technically, I'm advancing through the rank. So, like, if I hadn't decided to go psychic, I would probably ask William, hey, can I, you know, basically like play through like i've ascended through the ranks to get to this next tier and have some more interesting things because like the mutation i had was not very it 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 doesn't give me more like combat options or anything but if i had gone kind of trying to add some more mutations i could have done like horns and gotten some different types of things to be able to have a more able to interact with the world in different ways character instead of going with the psychic powers with more of the stuff that was already built into that that archetype which is what you did right yeah um the stay the course package gives you either one or two pieces of war gear depending on how rare you want this stuff mm-hmm. and also provides a uh, narrative element which um takes the form of either corruption or a memorable injury i picked the memorable injury for obvious reasons yeah <laughs> cool and so the that's sort of the the breakdown of how characters are it's sort of the idea of if you're playing a game of superheroes, I want to just bring in this random civilian who decided that they were going to build a mech suit, sort of being the Tony Stark in in the in the room with Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh. And I I do like that idea of if you're telling a story that features things like Inquisitors and Commissars and Space Marines, these sort of larger-than-life figures, there's still room for that everyday Imperial Guardsman or that random hive-ganger from off the street. Yep. They just have, yeah. they just have to have seen a whole hell of a lot to be in that same room. Yeah, they, right. need to, they need to have gotten a fair bit more experience just to be able to stand toe-to-toe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> what, what was your injury, by the way? Uh, it never came up. Uh, it was a battle scar um, from a fight with an orc knob. Okay. Cool. Ooh. Out by an orc. Cool. Uh, actually, yes, pretty much. I 
forgot to mention it because I don't. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. <laughs> it's cool. It's, they're in the background. You can like go through and just like. <laughs> oh yeah, that's when yeah. I. That's when I was slower. Because my up. I, I think the the next the next thing that we wanted to get into as well was uh, after sort of dealing with the prep stuff was talking about how the game is played, mm-hmm. um, and I think that sort of segues really nicely in because I feel like the character creation really incentivizes a lot of less mechanical thinking with your character. A lot of what a lot of what the character creation asks you is more background stuff, like mm-hmm. you know where are they from. It gives you it gives you certain mechanical benefits for determining, but a lot of the initial question being asked is where are you from, what do you do, sort of these developing your character rather than developing your stats. Yeah, it's a good way to put um, it. And I feel like that's sort of reflective of how the game is played. Um, because the game has a lot of, at least from a Game Master's perspective, and I'm curious if you guys have the same or differing perspectives from your end, from the Game Master's perspective, the game is played very much with sort of a narrative lean to it, and I think um, there's a lot of similarity to be found with people who are more familiar with some of Fantasy Flight games' stuff, stuff like um, the Star Wars, the Edge of the Empire system, and some of their their custom dice-tailored systems that they have that, that they put out, where a lot of it is your success is just a binary pass or fail what really matters is what you can do with that success from a story perspective huh that mm. that's interesting i am not familiar with that the fantasy flight at all i don't think i've ever played them before mine my experience is is more with either D world of darkness and then i've dabbled a little bit with fate and just starting to do cipher so it's it's interesting yeah, kind of comparisons what i what i noticed from my perspective as a gm was that when i was issuing you a test there was a difficulty number which was basically here's what you need to pass the bar mm-hmm. if you've done that you've succeeded at what you're doing if you get more than that, if you manage to get some exalted icons in there that you can then spend, which was explaining this mechanic, there's a system called shifting, which is if you have exalted icons that can be spared from the difficulty number of the task, the, the number of successes you need, you can move them away from, from counting to get more, to get more information, to make the task done better, to make it complete faster, etc., etc., etc. Or if you're firing a weapon to just deal more damage. Um... Which to me sort of sort of says that you know you're not looking to succeed more, you're looking to define your success a little bit better. You're looking to to get more story elements out of it, or in the case of combat, kill your opponent faster. But <laughs> but to me that sort of tells there's a little bit more of a story focus in this game than there is like in traditional like 3.5 D&D where everything is about your numbers and getting all the mechanics done right that's right. what you get the perspective says on that it still felt very mechanics heavy to me just primarily because of the you have to constantly be thinking of okay that's the difficulty and I have these numbers and do I I think this is especially because I was playing a psyker and there are some more options as far as what you can use um, use shifts for. It primarily happened like after I already made the roll, though. 
is the where the mechanical thinking just started to come in for me of okay what's the most advantageous or interesting place for me to put these extra successes that i got for example those shifts um should I use that to spread the range of my spell farther? Should I use that to shift glory for the group? Sorry. Um, should I use that to de just deal extra damage or make them stunned harder, for example? So it was still mechanical, but the focus of the mechanics was kind of spread out more, I guess. So, like, mm. playing when I'm deciding what to do, um, I'm thinking less about the mechanics, but when I roll the dice, that's when I start thinking about it more of, like, where do I want to use these? How do I want to make this work? Kind of thing, if that makes sense. I, I'm... Carry on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, all right. I am kind of the opposite, to be honest, because I'm the kind of player who struggles with uh, thinking up what I can do with something, um, unless it's something that I can shoot, <laughs> which was easy enough for me to do in this game. But uh, in moments of narrative or downtime where I need to think on the fly and actually interact with the world that's where i struggle to come up with new options or how to use like in the system how to use extra sixes to shift mm -hmm. um but i think the uh, narrative focus tends can potentially help as long as you keep an eye or an ear on uh, the environment and what is going on around you. And uh, so from um, from from my perspective, at the very least, I noticed that like the the baselines of what you can use a shift for outside of like combat and psychic powers, which have sort of defined shifts that can be used. Uh, mm -hmm. The the three primary shifts that are defined in the rules are: do your job better, do it faster, or get more information. Mm -hmm. And those are very vague, very open to interpretation ideas that are, to me, sort of imply that, you know, this is just sort of a, what do you think happened? What do you think is going to work? What do you just sort of the sort of the work with your storyteller, your game master to um, define what this shift is going to do, um, which I yep. found was an interesting blend. But I'm curious. Yeah. We, haven't heard, we haven't heard Craig's opinion on this. So I wanna... Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think and I'll come back, come back to this a little bit more, but I, I, I think narratively the more interesting of the two were actually the complications. Um, <laughs> but um, just in terms of uh, both risk reward, because if the more wrath dice you use, yes, you're adding more dice to the, to the pool, but for each die that you add, you have a chance, yep, you could get something that goes really well, but you could also have everything go absolutely terribly. Um, but in terms of the shifting mechanic, when you get icons, and can move them around um, in, in combat, I guess, although there were, there were some more options. I did feel it, it, it felt similar to a lot of other systems where you have something equivalent to a critical hit. Um, 
which is good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it felt familiar in, in kind of a comfortable way. You know, when that would happen in combat, I, I, okay, I know what to do with this now. Um, I, I liked it more out of combat where as, as you were pointing out, there are, um, you have, you have more open options to do. And I like doing that in, you know what I could be, trying to, uh, there was something that B did, uh, Mara, that your character did that I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember. Um, but it, what you weren't doing an investigation role or an insight role or something like that, you oh. something else, but you used your shifts to find out more. And I was like, that is so cool. Yeah. That was, that was when we were doing the, that was when we were um, going to the, the quarantine area. And I think I had um, senescence. There we go. Yes. Right. I'm so proud of myself. Okay, carry on. Um, <laughs> to basically, you know, see if there was a psionic connection between these people because they were all doing the, the weird chanting stuff. It's like, okay, I'll try this. Um, got an insane number of successes. And then, yeah, basically used those to be like, can I probe further so starting with that initial question of what's going on here is there a connection and then being able to use those i really enjoyed that i like yeah i and i totally agree um with the um complications being really really interesting i love um start having started dming with with D where um sometimes at least in my experience when you have a failure it's like okay you don't do it and then the players keep trying to do the same thing the system i i i i really enjoyed how it actively encouraged like okay now you have to think a different way or try something else or something else is thrown into this this you know pile of mess that you have um that you then have to deal with i i really like that. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's quickly, for the sake of explanation for the audience, um, uh, there's a couple of concepts that we should probably explain before we continue. Um, first of which is the complications. Um, the complications are when, like I mentioned earlier, when you have your wrath die. If you roll a one on that wrath die, the one die in the, in the pool, a complication occurs, which is something that goes wrong. Some things have defined complications, like when you fire when you're firing a weapon and have a complication, you can have it jam or have it break down on you. There's yep. some, there's a list of complications that weapons can have. Yeah, um, psychic powers. Psychic is... powers. If you have a complication, you risk the perils of the warp, which means the demonic realm of the immaterium might seep in and try and grab a hold of you. Um, but in every other situation, a complication is just something happens that goes wrong and it is heavily encouraged with the in the system for the storyteller and the player to discuss what an appropriate complication is sort of sort of like from the perspective of this moment in the story what do you think something going horribly wrong might be even if you succeeded on the roll something bad happens mm-hmm. and that ties yeah. back in so nicely to the communication that you were mentioning during character creation where it, it places a lot of faith i think both in the the maturity of the players and in the GM to be able to work together to, uh, you know, similar to, to this, the, um, uh, f- uh, is it final flight, final fight, flight. final flight, fantasy flight, um, the, the fantasy flight systems. I'm saying it's something I'm going to say final <laughs> fantasy if I don't focus Flying on something, <laughs> but yeah, uh, similar to their systems. Um, you know, it places a lot of, a, a lot of faith in the player group, um, uh, to say, you know what? 
this is not great for my character, but boy, does this make a better story. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm always a big fan of that, but I've been, I've been playing role-playing games, uh, you know, on and off since I was pretty young, you know, in middle school and back in that era, you couldn't really use that kind of mechanic because everybody is still at that point is just thinking, well, what makes my character the coolest and how do I beat the most monsters? Mm -hmm. And so I like that this system includes mechanics where sure you can just roll on a table, but it also says, but it's way better if you all can work together to come up with something more interesting. And I, I, I like that a lot. And so the, the, the second mechanic that I want to introduce from the GM's perspective was something that was plastered throughout this book, which I loved so much, was the concept of failing forward, um, which is something that this, this system really hammers home is really important as a storyteller, as a game master. And it's, it's a concept that works in any system, but I love that it's sort of hallmarked here as sort of this is the kind of thing that we should do. Um, because the idea of failing forward is even if you fail at your task, the story does not halt. Mm-hmm. You keep moving forward, but something goes wrong. The, for instance, from the storyteller's perspective, from the game master's perspective, in this in, in this uh, module, there were a lot of situations where there was like, if they fail at this task, they still do something, but something else happens. Like there was a moment where you were hunting down the big bad guy to try and find him in in the in the area. The penalty you guys succeeded, but the penalty if you had failed was you still get there, but he has more time to prepare. You you take mm-hmm. some shock damage from the exhaustion, and he has more bad guys at his at his beck and call to fight you with. I had a question about that actually because we didn't see this side of the thing. Um, what? So did it give you like those kinds of lists of co- potential complications or potential benefits at those certain like story decision points? Yes, actually. Uh, so there weren't so much complications. The complications were mostly just talk with your talk with your player mm-hmm. about what's going on. But the failures, um, a lot of the key important tests that it asked you to make in the module, it said if they fail this here's what happens is sort of a they were very keen on that idea of failing forward where even if they fail this test they still get there but they might suffer some extra shock the enemy might be tougher to face because they're more aware or they they (laughs) might lock out some potential side options that would have been available to you but the story always keeps moving forward which Mm -hmm. i thought was a really good point um as a as a storyteller as a dungeon master as a game master to really reinforce this idea of the story doesn't stop because they messed up the role. It just gets harder for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will, I will also, I would like some input from you, William, because I went back after we finished, I, I hadn't obviously read through the adventure before we played it, but uh, I was curious to see before this discussion, but after we played to read through it and it looks like if I was reading it correctly, it looks like we could potentially have saved Ada Parker if we had sort of oh. kept somebody with her. <laughs> And so I guess we screwed that one up. Yeah. So Single that, tier. Well, so it, it does mention if if someone was standing around watching a death Parker when the bad guy, when Willem Yoinks. came through and, yo- and yoinked his sleepers for his operation, she would have been left there. Okay. But, oh, but she, but she still would have died at the end. Yes. At the end, it does mention that everyone who is suffering from abacus syndrome eventually dies and turns into a pox walker after. after. We wouldn't have, you know, like watched her do it. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. 
And that's, that's sort of a thing about the setting of 40K is there's a lot of things that are just going bad. Yeah, no, but I definitely had that. I was reading back through. I was like, well, I thought that went pretty well. And then I saw that part and I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. And so I, I'm curious, um, you guys' thoughts of if did you feel like the system did a good job of 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 making you feel like you were failing forward any time that something went wrong the idea that even though I messed mm-hmm. up we're still going forward the story is still moving oh yeah definitely honestly I can't really say that I noticed <laughs> if that makes any sense at all Which, I mean I like, guess it might be a good thing honestly because if you didn't yeah. if you didn't notice that you were failing forward then that sort of just sort of implies that it felt like the story was moving forward yeah, I, I feel like this is something that a lot of other systems could learn from. Mm-hmm. Like, if there is, um, like, the core concepts of, like, failing a test should not stop everything. Mm-hmm. Like, if if there is, like, a section on GMing or DMing in, in, a, in a rule book, like, that needs, I think that needs to be a major focus for running a game. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm also um, curious how that intersected with the concept of ruin, which is basically like your, so um, besides wrath, like the wrath die that you roll in with your roll, and this was a confusing thing for for us, uh, besides the wrath die that you have to roll with your pool when you make a test or a skill check, um, there's also wrath, the points, that you can spend as a character. Um, you can you have glory, which is like the group pool, and then you have wrath, which is your personal character pool that you can use. If um, it, it felt like I, I've played a game of D and D where it was modified, where we had like hero points, um, which were like inspiration die that we could basically spend on things. If ugh, I I really think my character as a concept should be able to do this, and it was kind of that idea. You can spend one to re-roll or to add to your roll to try again and to maybe succeed. Um, the ruin was the. GMs, the GM side of that, right? Yeah, and so Ruin, Ruin was very much sort of a, um, and I love that they mentioned this. Um, Ruin is sort of a mechanical ball buster. It, it, it is there to make things harder for the players, um, and I love that they mentioned. A GM should never spend Ruin to make narrative decisions happen, because one of the abilities of Wrath and wrath and occasionally glory is the ability to just sort of allow the player to try and make a narrative declaration of like say okay Mm -hmm. can i find this if i spend a wrath can this be a a fact a a truth if i spend a wrath to make it happen Mm -hmm. Uh, it specifically says a gm should never spend ruin to do that because that's what they do as a gm that's your entire (laughs) job is to say this is what's happening Um, yeah so it's fair so they also cuts sorry go on uh, they also can't spend ruin to negate a narrative declaration that the player makes. Yeah, it's sort of like I, I, my job as a GM is not to say no to you when you try and use wrath to do that. My, the point of ruin is to make something reach outside of its mechanical bounds. Uh, <laughs> I can, I, it ruin ruin is for if. I need to make this creature tougher than it is. I can spend ruin to make it soak up damage. I can mm-hmm. spend ruin to make this creature do one of its big attacks if it has ruin actions. I can spend ruin to make this creature break out of the initiative and go before you. 
um, Ruin is entirely to play with the mechanics of the system. It is not a storytelling element, uh, which I like a lot because it, it sort of emphasizes that you as the storyteller are in charge of the story. Uh, and Ruin is just sort of the... It's your, it's your bad karma pool. Um, uh, for, uh, the the uh, the the Star Wars system has the fantasy light Star Wars system has a similar thing of light side and dark side points. Uh, hmm. Whereas light side is the the player's ability to make narrative declarations and help uh, uh, and help improve their their abilities and their roles. Whereas dark side is the is the the storyteller's ability to make monsters do things and make. Um, bad things happen to the players mechanically mm-hmm. um, which I, I very much like the idea of it's 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 a way to it's sort of this mechanically as a storyteller you could always just raise something's toughness or give it a bonus extra die without telling them but from a, mm-hmm. from, a from a gameplay design perspective it's sort of this idea of here's this pool of things I've got to hit you with. And it's something that you can show the players and be like, here's what's potentially hiding behind the corner is I have all of this ruin built up that I might throw at you. And it sort of helps build an amount of storytelling tension and an an amount of incentive for, for game, for game masters who don't necessarily know what they want to do. It sort of, it, it sort of builds in this design element of, here's a thing you can do with Ruin just to present more challenge if the story isn't challenging enough already. Which I really liked. Um, it didn't feel like you were using a lot of that. How many did you have at the end? Um, we, we spent so, all of our glory, if I recall. Or yes, we did. That, that's so... Did we get to zero? Yep, so, uh, I used a lost point. <laughs> That's right. Uh, ruin ruin starts out. I believe I believe the amount of ruin that you start out with in any individual session is the number of players plus the game's mm-hmm. tier. Yep, I believe off the top of my head, I could be wrong. Yeah, I, that that sounds right. Um, but it was six. Um, I spent two or three. I didn't spend a whole bunch. Um, but that was mostly because I felt like you guys were moving at an appropriate pace. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like Ruin is definitely sort of the adjuster of the of the system, where it's like, if I need to slow things down to make you guys take a second step, I might spend Ruin to make something harder. Or if I feel like you're blazing through really fast and these monsters are getting destroyed, I might spend Ruin to make them tougher. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like Ruin is sort of the pace adjustment system for the, for the Game Master. Uh, says here the game master begins and starts with the number of ruin equal to the number of players. Is it is it just players? Okay, okay that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you gain more from things like uh, fear te- us failing a fear test or you rolling a six on the wrath dice. Yep. Or if we um, had a one on that, uh, yeah, the wrath die. Because yeah. I think that yeah, happened one once. Of, one of, we had. One of- one of the potential complications, and I like this for people who are just not feeling very creative or just can't find a use for a complication at that particular moment. Yeah, I think Craig, Yeah, one potential use one. for a complication is the GM gains a ruin. If you can't think of mm-hmm. anything else to do with the complication, one option is give the GM a ruin. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciated from that perspective. And I, uh, but speaking on the, the Wrath and Glory point system, uh, how did that feel for you guys to use it? I'm curious. I love the glory system. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I, I also really liked it. Mm-hmm. Same. I liked how it emphasized without 
like the character abilities themselves. Um, there were a couple of them, like like um, Craig's character's syringe, you know, um, kind of healing or uh, disease purging abilities, um, kind of those teamwork type of abilities. But like my character didn't really have any of those, but I still got to f- to you know be able to be a team player and do that type of thing by having um, those opportunities to gain glory, to shuffle back into that pool. So then we as a group could do more uh, interesting things. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit after the session, uh, after we had stopped recording. So f- forgive me for repeating something I mentioned then, but I, I really like it. And I, I can't recall anything from another system that does this exactly. Uh, but something that I feel like happens to me all the time with my dice lock is I will ro- roll really well when it's not super important. You know, I may be talking to the, the shopkeeper and get a, um, a little bit of a bonus and roll a natural 20 when I'm trying to bargain for a potion. Uh, uh, or, you know, I walk outside, roll a notice check and get a critical uh, success on that and think, oh, and, and there's nothing there and think, okay, well, great. <laughs> so I wasted my 20 and then we get into combat and I start rolling my normal dice luck, which mm-hmm. is terrible. Um, yep. and, and the thing I like about this system is if you roll really well, on a roll where you just you just don't need to have rolled that well, that's fine. You can bank some of that success for later when you do need it. And that just, I, I, I don't know. As somebody who, um, who often, frustrated is too strong a word, but as somebody who feels like I waste a lot of good dice roll when I don't need to, I really like that utility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a similar problem where I roll exceptionally well in times where I don't need it. And abysmally when I do. (laughs) I also think it helps like level that um, when you have a player who just for whatever reason like that day or that session is rolling terribly you can sort of like it, it balances out that a little bit while still having the impact of those consequences and stuff have an impact because you can't use glory you can't use the, the re-rolls you get from a glory for example to re-roll uh a complication on a psychic power test that's still gonna happen yeah <laughs> um and so there's one more there's one more of the sort of pseudo-narrative pool elements that um should be gone into that we didn't delve into a lot and i'm curious of your thoughts on a the system itself and what you think of it and b how it felt knowing that it was there but never having really made use of it which is reloads um reloads oh yeah are uh, a system that is in this so this is a sci-fi setting guns are important there's a lot of ranged weapons there's a lot of guns uh there's just many melee weapons but there's just a lot of guns um and there's a system for there is no strict mechanical ammunition tracking system in this in in this game you don't have to keep track of how many shots i have left on my laser rifle by the way i have a laser gun why am i tracking shots Um, (laughs) my gun fires miniature stars i do not need ammunition (laughs) um so the the reload system is basically uh, a reload is defined as enough ammunition for a combat scene. 
mm-hmm. it is it is designed it, the, the a reload is sort of the the catch all term for here's enough ammo for a major fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, while you don't have to track ammunition, there is certainly a a system for if I start running low on ammo, there's sort of a, there's an idea of I have an amount of ammo, I'm just not tracking the exact numbers. Um, so it, it sort of, there are a number of ways that reloads interact. You can use, you can expend a reload to fire more shots to mm-hmm. um, make your ranged attacks more more accurate by just putting more volume down range. Uh, you can use them to make it easier to hit multiple targets. If you're shooting at several guys, you can make that easier to do by spending a reload. And then occasionally yeah. the DM might just say, okay, you just went through a major combat scene with a lot of shooting, you guys are down a reload. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it also I'm I'm not sure if it was that one or if there's another mechanic for it, but um, suppressive fire was one I saw in there that I thought was really was mm-hmm. really interesting. I like having I like when systems give combat abilities that allow you to do something other than point and shoot and and you know slowly whittle down a target hit, target's hit points, but allow you to change like the dynamics of a battlefield. Absolutely. Yeah, was, yeah. And that was that is actually a thing that reloads are for. Yeah. Using suppressive mm-hmm. fire on a weapon is is a way that you can expend a reload. Mm-hmm. Um, and reloads uh, according to the book are a thing that you sort of you have uh, every hero comes with three reloads per session by default. Uh, this never yeah. can be adjusted at the game master's discretion. If a GM wishes, they can also decide not to have the reloads replenished at the start of every session. Say, for instance, if you're behind enemy lines and don't have access to ammo refills, mm-hmm. uh, you might start running out of ammo between sessions. Um, yeah. And and like you were saying, that... that um, uh, mechanical um, sort of incentive to to not carry not care so much about the mechanics like how many bullets do i have less specifically i think gives a lot more freedom to have those big heroic fight scenes and not have to like one of the one of the biggest pet peeves i had um when i was running D was gold keeping track of gold and how much gold my players were getting so then they could go and spend it to buy stuff was not my favorite thing about D because mm. <laughs> it's like because i didn't want to keep track of the numbers um and so I, I think this system has a really interesting way of dealing with that, but still having the option to have that be an impact on where it narratively makes sense. Like the when you're behind enemy lines, or I'd probably use that like if a, a game had to end in the middle of a fight. Like, so, you know, when you get back to the second part of the fight, it's like you don't have your reloads back because you are, you know, in the second half of this large battle type of scenario. I don't know. And the uh, similar, a similar system. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned gold because um, this system doesn't have a currency system. Uh, it has a wealth stat, which I, I always appreciate. In any system that has it, I appreciate a wealth stat because it's basically... It has- yeah, it had wealth and influence, which I found fascinating as a character who had terrible influence. Mine was mine was really low, um, but I liked the idea of of um, uh, having a sort of your cachet in the world be a defined thing that you could potentially change. Were there mechanics on that for for 
having your stat in that change? Yes. Um, or actually, your influence was a thing that went up every time you took an ascension. Uh, every time you increased in rank, and every time you increased in tier, your influence went up. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. But your your like, uh, wealth and influence are sort of like your. Wealth is your monetary wealth. It's what you can afford to buy. And if every time you need to make a purchase that might be seen as potentially expensive that you might not have enough credits for, you would make a wealth roll. And if you succeed, then you have, then you happen to have enough on you or able to make enough of a deal that you can afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then influence is sort of your social wealth. It's sort of the how many favors can you pull? How many people can you can you call on to get this task done socially versus mm-hmm. monetarily? Um, which I appreciate both of those systems where it's like I don't have to mechanically track down every last credit that I've got or um, specifically notate every favor that I'm owed. It's sort of this is just a representation of how much money I'm assumed to have or how much influence I have in in society. Yeah, I I will agree with that because there are some systems where it can be fun to watch the credits or gold pile up but i think they have to be tied to the point of the system or at least the point of the campaign in in in, i think most systems what people have the most fun with is not saying oh do i have and it dovetails nicely with the reloads you know nobody wants to think okay do i have to go back to the commissary and buy more lays pistol battery packs or whatever. Do I have enough money to do that? How many should I take out? And so I like that it takes that out of the equation so you can just focus on what the narrative is. Yeah. Well, it. I think it depends on what kind of story you're wanting to tell with it, too. Because, um, like, sometimes I do have fun with, okay, I've got to go find X, Y, and Z so that I can afford to get this type of thing. But that's a different type of game and different type of, like, play experience. Oh, absolutely. I, I think even within this system, if we were playing something where we were not Imperium-endorsed, you know... You were Rogue Traders, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Then it would absolutely be part yeah. of the fun to make sure that we have mm-hmm. access to enough fuel to make our next uh, our make next trip or to make sure that we are keeping our equipment maintained. Mm-hmm. But if we're out there and we're part of the Imperium like we were in this game, it, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. I absolutely agree with you that there are some, some campaigns where narratively that should absolutely be a focal point. And the thing that I actually like about that in particular is that that's sort of what the wealth stat is for. It's sort of like, you know, do we need to make sure that we have enough fuel? Well, let me not just give you a number of credits and see if you have it. Make me a wealth roll. And if you have enough, fine, you got enough money for fuel. But if you if you, if you you fail that roll, we got to figure out how you're going to get fuel for the next jump. And that becomes an interesting side plot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that could tie into a whole sessions worth of content mm-hmm. yeah it gives a lot it gives a lot of different options which you can then choose to ignore which i which is a type of mechanic that i appreciate it's yeah, like it's sort of like here's voluntary complexity if you want it yeah. mm-hmm. which i appreciate a lot i i like the idea of a system that is very simple at its core and then gives you the option to take more complexity if you so desire mm-hmm. uh Related note, speaking of complexity, something that I noticed about this particular system, um, apologies if this is going on a different tangent, but something that I noticed when looking through the uh, through the book before the actual session, there is a heavy use of keywords, conditions, and um, 
just a bunch of different options in the combat chapter that uh, in the combat and war gear chapters that I thought actually kind of bogged the system down or made or had the potential to make you forget things because that that happened to me um, with the salvo option mm-hmm. um, spend a reload to get a number of bonus dice to your attack roll like I had completely forgotten that that was what that meant mm-hmm. and that that's that sort of like where you where that system is definitely the sort of a kind of thing that you might want to improve on with working with the system like for me for instance i i like the idea of the keywords because to me that's sort of like you don't have to remember every single rule just understand how these how the keywords generally function but to me that also says maybe you should have like a a quick reference guide for the keywords that have their own meanings like there should be like at the back of the book like here's what all of the mechanically significant keywords mean and what they do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and that's getting into sort of, um, I guess, uh, rule book design and the, uh, the language and the way that things are formatted. Um, I find it really helpful. And I, I have the Dungeon World uh, guide. And one of the things they do in that is um, significant keywords are like uh, bolded so that they are then easy to find in paragraphs and things um, I, I know we had trouble with this when we were playing the L5R game Legend of the Five Rings uh, was there would be keywords and, it, and, and you were not sure whether they were keywords or just descriptions yeah and so trying, so trying to figure out whether they were relevant or not became a matter of let me have you read the entire yeah through the entire book which is not something that i tend to do the way i tend to read rpg books is okay let me find the relevant chapters and just skim through them and see is what that a, is that a fantasy flight game by any chance uh, it, it has been it's bought not. by fantasy flight games and there's oh. a new version coming of legend of the five rings i think it's okay. out i think i, I, I think I, it's actually out yeah because that is something I notice with their games always, that it just, ugh, the way the information is laid out, you have to read the whole thing. Oh, no, actually, mm-hmm. I think the original was also Fantasy Flight. I think the original okay. version was Fantasy Flight, and they recently put out a new edition that was um, uses their custom dice system that they that they have mm-hmm. for all of their games. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's definitely a thing of, you know, in this particular case, uh, a way that I would say to improve this book would be definitely to have, like, all of these keywords maybe a font system like a fonting choice that you know this is a keyword like um maybe change maybe change the font for all keywords just to make sure they stand out from the rest of the text in the book so you always recognize them and then Mm -hmm. secondly definitely a reference chart at the back of the book that's like this is what all the keywords mean because I Um, i like keywords they make it easy to to explain mechanics and sort of like this is what this keyword does and if you need to do this mechanic you apply this keyword but at the same time you need to know what that keyword means and making it easy to find that is important yeah if you like the uh for example in wrath and glory the weapon traits section um in the in the Warcare chapter, uh, just looking at the bookmarks in the PDF, that is not actually easy to find. It's mm-hmm. Warcare, then weapons, and then it's weapon traits. 
Yeah. So it's a little bit buried, which makes well, things a bit more complicated. I'm I'm curious then how the rest of you were um, like keeping track of things during the game. So what I was doing um, when I was playing was I had the book open, but I didn't look at it. I tend to, and this is my personal preference, I tend to make notepads or or like basically like sticky notes that I then have open during the game where I take notes when I'm reading through the rules and just pull out the relevant stuff because I don't want to have to sift through everything um, during the game, which means sometimes like I'll forget, you know, those little tiny things. If I haven't noted it down, like I don't know what um, some of the weapon stuff is because I just didn't read through that yet because we had a week between when we made the characters and we were when we were going to play the game. Um, but I'm curious what the rest of you did on that. I had about four copies of the PDF open on my second monitor. And I and each of those had the bookmarks pay uh tab open so that I could quickly jump to what I wanted. Nice. Um I make I make a point of finding what I want in the book so that I can reference it to other people. Mm-hmm. That usually means I have a like a dedicated browser window just for the books. Mm-hmm. Sometimes multiple books, depending on the system. <laughs> I am. Um, I just had the had them open and was searching through the PDF by keyword, which sometimes was helpful and sometimes was not. Yeah. Um, I, I I was not particularly impressed with the um, with the index system in the book. Yes. yes. I definitely think that the book itself could use an amount of sort of improvement refining yeah refining i think would be a a good way to put it It definitely the the book itself in future editions and printings could probably use some extra information redundancy and some better refinement of where everything is at and how you can find it especially like in the pdf format the bookmarks could use some 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 touching yes very much so if i had only had a physical copy i think there were a lot more times where i would have said yeah you know what Let's. I'll figure that out next time. I'll just do something else, which is not not a great way to feel um, when when playing the system. I don't think it's a you know, it's not tremendously damning of the system either because it was our first time playing it. But it is a little frustrating to be sitting there with it and you just want to look up one thing and then you can't find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. This- quickly before moving on to our next major topic because uh, we're gonna got about 20 more minutes to, to keep mm-hmm. here um, the, the the one more major detail that I want to note from the game master side is how easy it is to run encounters in this system it's so nice I love it so much because the managing initiative is very simple back and forth it's just you guys go I go you guys go I go you guys go I go until we run out of things and then the person who still has more people left just goes until they're done Mm -hmm. Um, and then beyond that managing monsters is mm, it's so nice because (laughs) there's there's a lot of really simple mechanics for if you have a giant mob of these monsters here's how they change to become easier to handle because there's more of them and here's how they're different when there's just one or two of them to make them a more significant individual threat 
Mm -hmm. I love that so much. The idea that the reverse ninja theory, the, the idea that if there's, if there's more ninjas, they're less effective. Um, the, the idea that, you know, when you've got a giant mob of orcs, they're a lot less dangerous than if you're just fighting one giant knob who's ready to smash you with power claw, but there's more of them. Yeah. Um, Lancer uses a similar Igo Yugo system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, I like uh, that initiative. I like that. <laughs> and I, I, I'm very glad that they made that system and then didn't just let it sit there. Like, they made ways for you to mess with that initiative. Like, there are ways to seize the initiative and have you guys go ahead of the next monster or have my monster go ahead of you. Uh, which mm-hmm. was very interesting uh, from my perspective. There was one thing that uh, was not clear on the seizing the initiative was whether someone could take a turn twice, which I assumed couldn't be done, but the book didn't specify. It didn't. I I assumed the same thing. Like if you if you jump, then you cannot go. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I believe I believe I I would have to look, but I don't believe that that is the case. Yeah, I personally did not like the. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I, I muted that. That's okay. You did yeah. not. No, you did on, not on the on the on the OBS end. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. yep. <laughs> we had we had space. You can splice that. Um, <laughs> on the OBS end, I, it was muted. So there's just like a quiet moment where where I had to turn and and talk out of the room real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, there was a I, couple of times. Just, yeah, I personally. Um, like I, I don't know how how the running a mob of monsters works, um, but I I personally didn't enjoy as much the the um, that it didn't feel as dangerous with with a large mob of monsters because that's one of the things I like as a GM is is having a large crowd of you know these things are very these things are bugs and very easy to squish but there's a lot of them um, when we we're going into those the first fight. Um, I didn't feel this as much, but the second fight, um, when we had so many of those, um, what were they called? Pox walkers. Uh, they didn't feel like they were adding to the encounter threat at all. And I felt, I felt a little bit anticlimactic once we, once we, you know, took down, um, whatever, Dr. Evil. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it, it felt a little bit anticlimactic like i i don't know um if that was um i think in that particular case it might have mostly just been the fact that the pox walkers themselves were not that dangerous because they were they were not in they were not being considered a mob at that point they were actually themselves um Mm -hmm. but the pox walkers themselves are just not all that dangerous even outside of Mm -hmm. being a mob they've only got three wounds as opposed to one when they're a mob yep Um, oh yeah and so they're they're not super dangerous even just alone. I think if that had been like, say, a group of chaos warriors, that would have been significantly more threatening. And that might be mm-hmm. a thing on the on the construction of that particular module. Was maybe there should have been some more dangerous enemies. Yep. But I get the feeling that that particular module was sort of the hey, I'm demoing this game at a con game, and I yes. have to be able to cram this out every hour. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that I, makes sense. I will also say, as the character that was surrounded by a bunch of them, <laughs> I felt threatened. 
We took them sure. out quite effectively to be yes. fair to us. We were very sure. I took out four of them at a ten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I had a question on that specifically because you said they could be run as a mob and then as individuals. Um, were they run two different ways in both of those yes, encounters? The, the first, the first encounter, they were a mob. Uh, oh. Which meant that they had less health and less shock that they could take. Oh. Um, and, and, they, and they, and they move as a unit. Yeah. They all only got to go once. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I did not notice that. <laughs> um, and then in the second encounter, they all had their own spot in the initiative as opposed to all being grouped up. Um, and then uh, they had slightly more health and slightly more shock. Didn't matter mm -hmm. as much, though, because the, those of you who were combat oriented were blowing them away. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I get the distinct impression that, that uh, Blessings Unheralded is meant to be usable at any tier. Like, this is something that standard issue guardsmen could deal with, with basic las guns. Possibly. Mm -hmm. I, Possibly. I, I, I did notice that um, it was designed as a tier 3 game with tier 3 pre-gen characters. Right, yes, of course. Um, mm -hmm. And so I feel like the pre-gen characters are probably more specifically tuned to, to this fight to accent the challenges and make the easy parts seem particularly appropriate. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's fair. Also, to be fair, none of those pre-gen characters had a plasma gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I definitely feel like the, the significance of that particular module was to be really quick and easy to cram out. I think that mm -hmm. particular module was, like I said, a con game. It was mm -hmm. supposed to be, here's this, here's this game that I'm going to demo for you. We'll be able to, here's three pre-gen characters. Let's crank this out in an hour. Mm -hmm. right. Definitely. Um, yeah. And so that, that's probably more the module in the game system, I feel. Um, I definitely feel like yeah. in, a, in a situation of if I had wanted to throw a challenging fight at you, I would have picked things that were just tougher. Mm -hmm. Yep. I then had um, kind of going in, segueing into the last kind of thing I figured would be good to talk about would be like um, uh, how we feel the system works as, on continuing with it. Um, so like... For the GM side, how easy would it be to, um, I know I do this a bunch, is uh, modify monsters or create my own, um, creating and running your own encounters besides just the pre-generated starter in adventure. Um, uh, continue with characters, leveling them up, uh, gain in this system, gaining, gaining uh, what is it, mal malignancies mm -hmm. <laughs> and things. Um, how... From, from the DM's perspective, from the, from the Game Master's perspective in that particular instance, um, I would say it, I haven't experimented with it a lot, but it feels, just from reading over it and sort of running it through in my head, like it would be really easy to, to custom tailor your encounters and your monsters because they've all got... Um, there's this wonderful little thing um, where... Uh, in the, in, the, in the monster block, there's their relevant things that they do a lot, uh, which is, you know, their, their combat skills, their things that they're really good at. And then there's this wonderful little skill called default, which is anything this character is not designed to do, they have this many dice to work with. Mm -hmm. if, they, if, if this combat NPC has to make a social role, he will use his default ability for this is just, in general, something he wasn't supposed to do, but he's an all-rounder. He's able to handle a couple things. Mm -hmm. And then if you feel like the default stat isn't appropriate, you can use something else if you if you want to think of something derivative really quickly. But that's sort of the, I don't have time to think of how good he would be at this, so let me just use the default stat. Yep. And Does it then 
give you a lot of options um, as far as like ideas for um, uh, tailoring, for example, if you have that, that pre that that module um which is designed for level three but to scale it down or to scale it up yeah actually um there's a really fun there was there was a couple of different sidebars that were talking about improving or reducing monsters um uh biggest the biggest way to reduce one they they often advocated was just throw less of them at you um but the improving there were a lot of things like um they they gave sort of like very simple and basic ideas like you know if they're this many tiers up you might want to add you know so many extra wounds or so many extra shock or add a add an amount of damage um to what they can do and it was sort of this very simple like an easy idea of scaling up is to just make them able to take more hits and deal more damage which was to me was sort of an interesting idea and sort of something that made a lot of sense because the Taking hits and dealing damage is sort of the the iconic sign of the difficulty, whereas their unique abilities tend to still be relevant and useful no matter what tier you're at. Like, the Pockwalkers are a relatively low-tier enemy, but their ability, Toxic, is always going to be relevant. <laughs> because it's just like, here's this thing that will poison you every time as long as you're wounded by it. Doesn't matter who you are, that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you don't you don't need to you don't need to scale up that ability. It already works. You, the only thing you would need to scale up is their ability to take hits and deal hits, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciated. I feel like that's very easy to scale up and down and toy with encounters to make them more fitting for whatever the current player base looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then I'm curious about how you guys feel. Like how easy would it would that do you think that game would have been to keep going with those characters to keep playing with? One of the things that I'm not certain about still is is, is how the progression works, because <sighs> I think that's something that um, is often a big draw, the feeling like your character is progressively becoming stronger and, you know, e- either in leaps and bounds or even just in small but steady ways. And um, with this being done through extension, extension packages, and maybe I just hadn't read the, the rule book sufficiently but i i didn't really get a good sense that that there was a good way to slowly improve your character or fine-tune them uh, well here's here's let me tell you what the what the what the rules say and you can tell me how what you think of it um the the primary method of characters advancing is sort of like a world of darkness game where you are awarded build points at the end of every session ah and okay the 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 typical the typical amount that they say was typically you want to give them three to five build points every session typically because that lets the according to the book that says that should be enough for them to improve something usually like once every other session um, okay. so that they can steadily have this growth and then once they've reached a certain number of build points accumulated then they're ready to increase in rank or increase in tier if they've gotten that far mm-hmm. um, I'm curious what you think that how you, how you feel about that yeah. My thing with that would be I would want to have a lot more options as far as things like talents or, um, yeah, talents, um, because I find it interesting rather than going and just improving my stats, like how many dice I have to roll for a thing, um, beyond that, but getting more, um, 
more options, some more abilities to do different things. And the primary way to do that in this system, I think, is either the Ascension pack that I took or um, getting talents. And a lot of those talents were uh, restricted to certain keywords. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you have a character at the beginning that you build who does not have some of those keywords that you sort of need, um, it's like... How are you going to get that in play? And is there a way to gain keywords during play? Is that a mechanical thing or more of a narrative thing? I think it could go either way. I think that might be more of a narrative thing. Yeah. Because there are some, there are some uh, keywords that's like, for example, an Imperial Guardsman will mm -hmm. never be able to acquire because they belong to Adeptus Astartes, Space Marines. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so definitely sort of a criticism, there will be you know, more variety of talents, you would say, would be very useful for, for making character last a long time. Yeah, yeah. But I also just generally got the sense from, from my quick reading through the, the rules that it's not, the system is not designed to have a long-term campaign, or at least not a long-term campaign with the same characters. Like, it's, it's, it's fairly, it's not, it didn't feel fairly brutal, but it, it, feels very easy to lose control of a character through like the through uh overblowing your your psychic powers or gaining malignancies like if b had not had not had our our, our wonderful medic here uh getting toxic and turning into a zombie that's the end yeah i was worried about what would happen if we didn't cure that B would have turned into a pox walker when eventually like there would have been a chance to resist it every time and if and if they had continued to fail and continued to get hurt by that toxic if they had eventually died from it they would have turned into a pox walker mm -hmm. wow nope. okay um yeah but it, but it definitely feels to me like a system that is not designed to have like a like in D&D &D, a you know couple years long campaign I'm very, I'm very curious to test that. Actually, I would love, I would love, love, love to, to to run this as a longer term campaign and see how well it holds up. But that's that's me in particular. Um, yeah. uh, but let's let's uh, we're I'm running a little bit short on time, so let's let's, mm -hmm. let's hit a bit of a lightning round as we close this out. Um, so first off, um, let's go ahead and run through our favorite and least favorite things about this system just up up and down so i'll start just to give sort of a basic idea my single most favorite thing about this system is comes from a setting standpoint because i love the 40k setting and i know it very well my single most favorite thing about this game is that it is designed with the idea of every option there being possible to play together if you have the right story uh, if you've got the right story you can have an eldar working alongside an orc and a space marine and an inquisitor if you can manage to finagle that story to make sense you can do that whereas like the old warhammer 40k systems like if you wanted to play a space marine you had to play death watch if you wanted to play an imperial guard you had to play only war if you wanted to play with anyone who is an alien you had to play in rogue trader 
um, which to me felt kind of annoying that you had to play the game designed for the character you were looking for versus the character fitting in the game. Uh, <laughs> I love, love, love the idea that you can just fit whatever you can throw together as long as you can explain it in the story. Um, and then my least favorite thing in this particular game system, while I do love it, I love it to death just from my little experience with it. I do, I do find it very frustrating. The, um, the amount of information, the lack of information redundancy that exists in the book is a little frustrating to me. Um, because I definitely feel like in a, in a system that is as keyword heavy as this, you need to be explaining what those keywords are. Not every time they come up, but every so often you need some redundancy of, by the way, this is what this keyword means again, so you don't have to go back to the one section of the book and look. I definitely feel like they could have a lot more redundancy in the way the rules are explained and sort of like reiterate things because that's important. Um, and then, Craig, what do you think? Your favorite and least favorite? Um, I, I think my my favorite thing um, is somewhat similar to yours, it, which coming to it from a position of being familiar and, and, and really loving the... Um, the, the, the 40k in the grim darkness of the far future, you know, the whole grim dark. But I mean, also, it, it's it's really silly sometimes. <laughs> and, 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 and I feel like the system did a great job capturing sort of the grand opera of, of the setting, but also some of the sillier parts. And I, I, I like that. Um, mechanically, I like that to, to an extent, it actually feels somewhat similar to playing tabletop 40k where you are grabbing big handfuls of d6s and rolling them. <laughs> um I, I i like that that carried over um and then just to to reiterate from from earlier i i do really like the glory system i think that works really well um probably my least favorite thing um is actually also tied to the setting um which is it makes sense from a tabletop perspective that you're just kind of bashing units together so you just roll dice but i did think it was a little odd that um in a system a science fiction system that, that has so much melee combat in it uh, i did think it was a little odd that there aren't more nuanced options for melee combat, or at least that I found. Maybe that's elsewhere, and I just didn't see it. But I, I, I background somewhere. I think that's actually on my end. So I will take the remainder of the comments off the air. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Mara, your favorite and my favorite. Favorite thing, uh, Wrath Die. I liked uh, that they. I got more of them when I did stupid psychic things. That was that was enjoyable. I enjoyed the risk. Um, least favorite thing, um, probably just. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, the uh, lack of options as far as leveling specifically. Like I said before. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, Andrew? Um, for my favorite, I'm going to have to agree with, well, both of the others on uh, the point systems for Wrath, Glory, and Ruin, and specifically how they can all be used in their appropriate ways after making a roll. Yes. Like you don't have to, you don't have, like you don't have to declare it beforehand. Yeah, so I, you, I love You don't that. waste anything. Mm -hmm. uh, for my least favorite... Honestly, I think the book as a whole feels like it's only half refined. Like a lot of simple little things have been overlooked in the long run. Like we found this in the first combat in the 
um, like when I was trying to use a leadership test to kill a fear act, a fear effect, and we couldn't find what uh, type of action that took. Mm-hmm. So that ties back into what uh, I think it was that you said, William, about uh, how. Um, oh, what were the words? Sorry, I'm bad at yeah, redund- mm. <coughs> Sorry, redundancies and just clarifying things. Mm. Yeah. And so uh, general um, sort of final overview, um, major points that we think are really important to sort of really ram home about this system in the last few moments. Um, for me, that's... Uh, I love this game. I really enjoy it. I think I love it to death. It's. I would love to play more of it. Um, uh, and as far as um, the sort of the, the getting into it, um, I think it's does a really good job of getting you started. I think it. I think it has a really good um, intro system and really values communication between the players and the storyteller. And I think that's a really good thing that helps make the game easier to get into and easier mm-hmm. to make last. Yeah. Um, and so, a- any other final comments from everybody else? Um. Uh. Basically, I just think that uh, I'm not entirely certain that this uh, system is for me specifically because, uh, as I've mentioned, I'm not very good at thinking on my f- on the fly. So sometimes um, trying to decide on a complication or using things in ways that most other people would be good at, I'm not very good at. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, I'm not sure if I'm making much sense. No, yeah, absolutely, that absolutely makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that that's one of the things. That was one of my favorite things about that about this system, probably because I'm a very different player from you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> is is the fluidity of it and the ability to to um, kind of tailor it to your group's needs and how you're playing together. I liked. <laughs> and last last notes from Craig. I, 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 if I could actually ask a, a question, something that maybe we didn't get into as much. I know we're trying to wrap up, but just quickly. Um, uh, so I understand correctly, uh, Mara, you weren't particularly familiar with the with the setting before we played. Nope. Um, and um, uh, I think the rest of us were. Andrew, you you played forty k before. Right? I dabbled in it many many years ago okay well then, then for both of you I, I just wanted to ask in general not on a rules-based question but just how did the book do in general sort of making you feel up to speed on the on the feeling of the universe and the setting um go, go, go first okay um from oh i must have last played it at least a decade ago now um i imagine a lot has gone down since I uh, last even looked at the universe. So it felt very similar, but different at the same time. Like there were a a few small differences, but it stayed pretty much the same from what I remember. I can tell you most of what's gone down since you've been has actually happened in the last couple of years. (laughs) Oh, well then. (laughs) The story story sat stagnant for a really long time before someone at the higher end was like, okay, we need to move the story forward. Let's actually do things. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I was reading the thing about the the universe had been torn in half, and I was like, oh, huh? Because I think I've been I've been away from it about as long as you have. Yeah, that happened a couple. That happened like within the last year or two, I want to say. 
And from a had never had had never ever played within this universe and had no like background understanding of it. Um, the uh, kind of descriptions scattered throughout, which I really appreciated, and the kind of story things that that started the various chapters were really helpful on getting the tone across, like the tone of, okay, this is the type of setting this is. This is very grimdark. Um, it, your character has a high chance of, of dying horribly, uh, but you're going to do it with with wrath and glory. I got, I got that very much. Um, <laughs> the name of the system is very appropriate. Yes. Definitely, which I, I really appreciated. Um, but the specifics of who are the players and what are all the things in here, without having to have time to like sit down and let go through the lore extensively, it was a lot. Like there were points where uh, William had to be like, okay, no, you can't do that because it, it doesn't work with the... Um, with this established story that we're we're doing, because like I I don't know some of the stuff, so can't do chaos things because you're an imperial. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, which which is fine. That's part of like the communication part. But I would not have gotten that just from reading the rules alone necessarily. The way I was reading them. Mm-hmm. All right, and so that. that- Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say thank you because I, I was really curious about that because mm-hmm. my my take was I I like William I, I like the system and I would enjoy playing it again. Um, I I think a lot of the reason that I like it is it seemed it it seems so familiar and so appropriate for the setting, but I I just I wasn't as I wouldn't be as comfortable recommending it to somebody who wasn't already a fan of the mm-hmm. of the tabletop game. Yeah, that's. Uh... From specifically just the making a character and starting going in things, totally fine. Fitting it within a story and being comfortable in a narrative, that that's something that I'm I wasn't getting. All right. Would you would you would you say that um, you would recommend this game to people who are not familiar with 40k so long as there was someone there who was willing to, you know, help them into the story, help them enter the, the universe and figure out who they were and where they were going? And you say this, the, the system itself is good enough to recommend to someone as long as there's someone yes. to help with the story? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or even if you want to tell a similar story in a totally different setting, like if you just change keywords and say, okay, we're going to define this keyword by this in my universe that I'm making because that's something that I tend to do as the person who is DM D and D and just totally mess with the stupid lore because <laughs> why not? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I yeah, enjoyed the system and it was, I, sorry. Yeah. I enjoyed the system and it was, it was the enjoyment of the system and the way some of the stuff worked, the mechanics worked were enough besides just the lore setting and how the, the system fit with the lore and, and kind of made the um, made it feel like the same kind of universe as the tabletop kind of just playing 40K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, I, I'll be honest, I, I like the system, but I'm less big of a fan of the... Of, like the actual 40k setting as a whole. I'm not big on Grimdark, but I would love to use these rules or variations thereof in a brighter, uh, a setting with a brighter tone. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. I, I, I think 
if if my character choice and the way I played them didn't already make it obvious, I I had a lot of fun with it because, like I said, I think it's it's so grim dark that it, it tends to almost come out the other side and into into parody of itself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I like about it. I, I I agree with you. I think I think if you were playing with someone who was ta- really really taking the lore seriously, um, and I know in in Slack, uh, William, was it you who linked the. Uh, the, the article the, the, with the article <laughs> about yeah, yeah. <laughs> there can't be female can't be space marines because I'd have to rethink my life yeah exactly <laughs> so if you were playing with people like that I don't think it would be as much fun or people who uh, have been seriously expressing that tone rather yeah, than yeah, the yeah, article exactly. itself which is clearly yes. satirical yeah which which is a fantastic article by the way and if we can put that in show notes or anything for this that would be great yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is we need people who can put the ham in Warhammer Yes. <laughs> I think we should end that there. Yes, I think that is that is a perfect note to end on. I have been William. This has been Craig and Mara and Andrew. You can find us all on Twitter at the at the accounts that are listed above our heads. Uh, the characters that we played are under our heads. Uh, if you're looking at the video, but for for those of you who are listening to audio, I'm William. You can find me at Shadow underscore Chorus. Uh, Craig, I'm Craig. I'm at the underscore doc underscore web with two b's and mara hi i'm mara and i i don't know i said hi i'm already here <laughs> <laughs> just really interest. mara and you can find me at yarn quester and then andrew I am Andrew, and you can find me at, at WriterRaven underscore. And this has been our review of uh, Warhammer 40k, uh, Wrath and Glory. Uh, I overall, I'm really positive. What about you guys? Yeah, yeah I, like I enjoyed it. it. All right, so we, 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 all think it's, we all think it's a pretty good game. Most of us have played it again. It might not be the, the game for all of us, but we're all pretty positive on it. Um, so we'll see you all next time. So say goodbye, everybody. Bye. See you, everybody. Bye.